God. Let's pray. Let's just pray. God, we thank you again for bringing us together this morning. And God, what David said was so true, isn't it? That um, there are people right now who long to be gathered together, Father, in other nations that are not allowed to. But God, even in this nation, we're aware that there's been many, many situations where people used to be part of a church, where people uh, have been wounded by the church, where others who uh, just don't know where they belong, be it they're single or Father, recently divorced, or whatever the circumstances, Father, there's so many circumstances that leave people by the wayside. So, Father, maybe somebody watching right now through this computer, maybe that's as much energy as they have was to tune in to the computer. And, Lord, would you now, in this hour, first of all, remind us of who you are as we've been singing, we've been thinking about your goodness, our salvation. Father, for those who don't know you, who long to have the security of knowing that our sins are forgiven, our guilt is gone, we don't deserve it, and yet you've promised us that. Lord, I'm blown away. The older I get, the more I'm blown away by your goodness. And so, God, I pray for freedom today, for freedom to everyone who's seeking it, Father, for freedom to those who may, might not know they need it. And Father, for a sense of revival in our souls that we have met with you even after this hour. Thank you, God, for what you're doing in our hearts right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. It is an honor to be with you. Many new faces. The church gets younger and younger. It's incredible. <laughs> this side, at least. I don't know about you guys over here. But and I, those who are watching, you guys got to see these guys. It's incredible. But uh, I, I, I'm wondering how many of you new pastor would be gone or you might not have shown up in this rain. I couldn't believe it. I pulled up. It was pouring rain. I thought, oh, my goodness, if there's ever a reason not to come to church, now we got a good excuse. We could just stay home and watch it online. But I really appreciate everybody being here and those of you who are tuned in. It's awesome to have a chance to get into God's Word. If you have your Bibles, start making your way to Mark chapter 5. I'll be kind of camped out there for a bit. Uh, it's honestly, it is all, always an honor. I've been with the church launch since we started back, uh, uh, way back. Uh, we used to be at the University of Illinois down there uh, near the hospital, and then we moved over to the school, and now here we are. And, and it's like, we're like this group of people that's not going to stop meeting. Like, you can take us down, but you're not going to put us out, right? It's like we just keep getting together. doesn't matter if they close out buildings, we'll find a place on the street, and we'll keep meeting, because that's what uh, people who love Jesus do. It is a unique sort of attribute of Christianity, like the gathering together of the saints. Listen, it's not our idea. If it was our idea, most of us wouldn't do it, but it's God's will for us, and we recognize it. Something awesome happens when we get together. I feel it, and I know, you know, Christians were supposed to be walking by faith, not by feelings, but there is something that happens in our souls when we start singing worship songs together. Man, David, those songs date us a little bit. Those are like back from the 90s and 2000, but I love them. For some of you, you're like, I never heard that song before. It's awesome. Awesome. The stand is an awesome song. It just moves me every time I, I hear it. And so anyway, thank you for the honor of being here, elders who have allowed me to be in this uh, space today to talk about what God has been doing in my life. And so um, I thought I'd start by telling you a story about my life. Back when I was a second-year fellow in pediatric emergency medicine, I'm a doctor by training, and so I had finished my residency and and uh, I was doing my fellowship, I finished my residency in pediatrics, and then I was doing my fellowship in pediatric ER. And halfway through, I took a job at Starbucks. Now, might, some of you might be wondering why a doctor who is saving kids' uh, lives by day was uh, working at Starbucks by night. My mom certainly wondered. Well, I, um, uh, there's a backstory to the story. And I, I found in life that every story has a backstory. And so you'll find that out if you uh, talk to each other. And besides the question that, that Ajit gave us, by the way, I thought that question was in my honor. 
because Abu is part of my last name, so I thought he hunted it down in order to find one with that name up there earlier. Anyway, I, uh, I took the job at Starbucks because a few years before I landed in Jacksonville and did my fellowship, I had made a mess of my personal life. In fact, I halfway through my residency, uh, God, uh, it, during that three-year residency, I met a guy, got engaged, and two weeks before the wedding ended the engagement. But the real disaster was that there was this other guy that I thought I'd end up marrying that by the time I woke up to the fact that my best friend of 10 years might be the one he had moved on. And so in the chaos of my personal life, every one of us has a mess in their personal life. Mine I've written several books about, so uh, I guess that's what happens when you start writing your story. God help you if that's you. But I, uh, I, I, in that mess of trying to figure out my personal life during my residency, I missed certain deadlines. And there's nothing worse than that. If you're so caught up with one problem, now you've got multiple problems because you've just kind of put so much energy on the one thing. And so in the uh, chaos, I missed the deadline to apply for a fellowship. And so uh, the fellowship was this further training in pediatric ER. And so I, uh, uh, I was sort of hemming and hawing, trying to figure out what I'm going to do with my life. I had by now realized I was not wired to be a general pediatrician. No offense to those of you who practice general pediatrics, but I just don't have that temperament. And so I was a little bit in trouble. I had now spent multiple years to do what I was supposed to be doing, you, some of you who might be in college right now, that's like your worst nightmare. You spend all these years, you wake up and you go, man, what am I supposed to do now? And so I was in the middle of kind of having this conversation with myself when uh, the director of the ER in Houston, where I was doing my residency, uh, came up to me late in the year. We had like three months till graduation. So I would have had to wait another year before I reapplied for the cycle that I needed to be in. Well, she came to me and said, Lena, some great news. Are you still interested in the ER? I said, yeah, I am. She said, well, there's a funded position that just became available in Jacksonville, Florida. If you're interested, you need to go and interview. My friend runs this program, and I just found out about it. So, so when she told me that, I was pretty excited, except that I had no concept where Jacksonville, Florida was. Uh, remember, I'm Lebanese. I grew up in Lebanon, hence my last name. And, uh, and, and I, I had, like, I knew Miami, right? I mean, I, I mean who, what else is there in Florida, right? I guess I just knew, like, you know, the big thing, and people who grew up in, in other countries are all aware of Miami Vice back in the 80s. That was our show. And so I knew that. The Love Boat, I think they had a little time in Miami, in, down there. I don't know. But anyway, that was all I knew. So I was a little nervous about Jacksonville, Florida. I was in a very high-end pediatric program. And so the idea of going to a smaller program, I wasn't so sure about. And, you know, they say you can't look a gift horse in the mouth. But I was. I was, like, way looking into that mouth. And, and so on the flight to go interview, I remember, you know, I was already a Christian. I, I, I thought I was, you know, trying to walk in, you know, God's ways for my life. Like, I, even the engagement and this mess, like, I wasn't being rebellious. Like, I genuinely had sought God, and, and I had a, even Bible verses circled, and, and my journal would, if you went back and read my journal, you could read this whole story in my journal. And so I was on the plane. I was having this conversation with God, and I was in this cycle where I was I'm sure you've been there before where you expect God to do one thing, but he doesn't live up to that. And it's a horrible place to be. You just don't know what to do with that. So I remember being on the plane, but still wanting, knowing that, that his way is the only way. Like I, I had a conviction of that, but I struggled with how to manage it all. And so I was having this conversation with God and I said, God, I don't know if you want me to go to this small Jacksonville, Florida program, but I got a great idea. If you want me to go there, then let there be a Starbucks in Jacksonville. This was in the year 1999, before there was a Starbucks on every street corner. So I felt like I made, I made a 
you know, moderately hard for God. It wasn't like super easy. It was like a six out of 10. And so I thought, okay, now we'll see what happens. And so mind you, I'm going to interview. I get off the plane. I take my little bag and I walk off the, tar the tarmac thing. And as soon as I come out into the airport, I look up and there, a Starbucks. And the angel started singing. And my natural response was, okay, Lord, we need two out of three, right? And so I was, I was like a little miffed. I went through the interview process, struggled a bit with making the decision, but I kept thinking, but there's a Starbucks. God showed me a sign. So I went back to Houston, backed up my bags and moved, drove the, the 10 hour, whatever hours to Florida, unpacked my bags and my apartment by the beach. And the next morning, literally the next morning after I landed in Florida, I thought, oh, praise the Lord. I'm gonna go and have a coffee this morning at Starbucks. And so I got the phone book they still had those. Y'all don't know what that is. These guys will fill you in during the, that'll be your, what in the world, world do you think? You know, after the service, you can have a little like, tell them what the phone book is, right? And so I, uh, I looked at the phone book for S, Starbucks, and I didn't find one. And I thought, that's okay. Nobody knows it by Starbucks. It was still 1999. So I went to a coffee and didn't see a Starbucks there. And I went to a cafe and I didn't see, so I, I was still kind of running out of options. So I went down to the gas station and asked and found out that in 1999, there was only one Starbucks in Jacksonville, Florida, and it was at the airport, which was 45 minutes away from where I was living. And so have you ever felt like God just set you up? <laughs> I was like, oh my goodness, I can't believe that. So I was really d deeply disappointed. And so I ended up uh, going, starting my fellowship and, and really sort of having, again, this existentialist crisis at the time, this faith crisis, trying to figure out all that was happening in my life. And when I heard about a year and a half into my time there that they were opening a Starbucks a mile from my house, you better believe I was the first in line to get a job at Starbucks. And so I did, I took the job and people in my field of work thought I was crazy. My mom was like, God help her, like join a dating site instead. But here I was. I, uh, I, I started going to the ER by day and to Starbucks by night. And well, uh, two months into that, uh, one day I decided it was Saturday night and I did not want to go to work at Starbucks. No offense. Again, I love the free coffee, but there's a point where you do only so much coffee. And here I had a real job. And no, sorry if you work at Starbucks. That's not saying it's not a real job. But... But you know, like it was like stressful and I thought, well, you know, I'm gonna do what many people have told me they do, I'm gonna call in. And I was this straight A, you know, all in student so far, I didn't understand how that worked, but I tried it. So I picked up the phone and I said, hey, I'm calling in. And the lady on the other side freaked out. She says, you can't call in, it's Saturday night, there's people all the way lined outside the store waiting for their coffee. I said, no, no, I really can't come, it's been a hectic week, I just need a break tonight, I'm gonna call in. And she says, you can't, you're gonna have to talk to the manager. I said, you know what, I have a better idea. Instead of talking to the manager, here's what you can tell the manager. And I said the two words that my whole life I had dreamed of saying, but I had never yet said, and you know them. I said to her, I quit, I quit. And that was the last of my Starbucks working days. I went to the ER the next day, told them that I quit, and they got the pool out. There was a bet going how long I'd last at Starbucks. I don't know who won it, but I chuckle now when I think about that story. You might say, why are you telling us the story? And it's this application point is that sometimes the very dreams that we so deeply long for become the very places we can't wait to escape. I'm going to say that again. Sometimes the very dreams that you and I deeply long for, dream about, hope for, become the very places we cannot wait to escape. 
For some of you sitting today or watching here on the video, you are thinking about your marriage. You prayed for it, you hoped for it, you had other small groups praying for it, and you, you, you just couldn't wait for that to happen, and now you, can't, you wish that was not someone that you had to live with. For others of you, it's your schooling. You hoped you would get into a school, you wanted a career path, you got into that school, and now you're going, how did I land here? For many of us, it's the church. We are living in an era right now in the United States where there are more people leaving the church than ever. And typically, it's those millennials and under. I don't know what it is that, that you identify with, but I am convinced that there, there may be some dreams. Maybe it's your ministry. Maybe you hope that the job and a certain calling, maybe you're so convinced, convinced that God had that calling for you. But today, you look at that and you go, man, man, I just wish I could quit. But because of a myriad of reasons, you just can't. Some of you, you're stuck because of the kids. Others of you, because of financial obligations. And while there may be times when you and I are okay to leave a certain relationship or a church or even marriage in certain situations by and large our problem isn't that we come to the end of something and move on it's that we want to quit and today I'm here to tell you don't quit the message today is easy don't quit if you don't remember anything else think about that thing that you can't wait to escape and I'm telling you I'm begging you I'm urging you for many of you it's your faith in Jesus Christ. You received them into your heart. You thought your life would look one way, and you're looking at your life going, God, is this the life that you promised? The truth is we're not the first people to wonder about the Christian life. We're not the first people to struggle with the local church. We're not the first people to want to quit something that is good and that is intended for us even though it doesn't feel good in it, even though you might feel like you're wrestling with God in it. While scripture is plenty full, I could have picked a thousand examples. I'm gonna pick this story in Mark chapter five and I'm gonna look at it from two different angles. First, from the angle of the woman. She's the woman who is nameless in scripture. She had, we know her as the woman with the issue of blood. She had a bleeding disorder. She had a, a uterine bleeding disorder. Sorry, guys, not to be too specific here, but that's what it was. And the doctors in the room are probably coming up with all of the possibilities that this could be, but she is a woman who almost quit. And I'm going to look at her story from her angle, but then also from the angle of the disciples. So allow me to read Mark chapter 5, verse 21. And I'm actually going to read through the end of the chapter. It says, and when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, this is just to put you on the same page. This is in the middle of Jesus's time uh, of three years of ministry. He hasn't completely started talking about the cross yet. I mean, these are the heydays of the ministry when everybody wanted to be with Jesus because their problems were going away when they were with him. He hasn't gotten to the point where he was hanging on a cross yet. So his friends were many, but not for long. And so a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians 
and had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment, for she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. I love the New King James Version. It says, if only I touch his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? His disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, who touched me? I love the, stay there for a second, but I love the words in Luke chapter 8. I'll read you the same story from that angle. Jesus said, who was it that touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, master, the crowds surround you and are pressing in on you. But Jesus said, someone touched me for I perceived that power has gone out from me. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling back to the Mark uh, rendering there of the gospels. He says, disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing around you and yet you say, who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. The woman knowing what had happened to her came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. While he was still speaking, remember, he's now on his way to heal a girl who is dying. Any good ER doctor would have been like triaging, like go to the girl. Instead, Jesus interrupts what he's doing, takes time for this. Some of you, by the way, are Jairus' daughter. You have that need, and you think, God, why aren't you showing up? And you're so worried because Jesus seems like he's busying himself with a woman with the issue of blood when what you have is so urgent. Listen, take heart. Jesus is not alarmed. So he's still speaking. Now listen, there came from the ruler's house some who said, your daughter is dead. Why bother? It's not the word that's written there. He says, why trouble the teacher any further? But what they're saying is, man, don't bother. The girl is dead. She's dead. She died. Too late. But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not fear only believe and he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John the brother of James they came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and Jesus saw a commotion people weeping and wailing loudly the Arabs by the way in the Middle Eastern that's all they do they wail loudly they talk loudly we talk loudly I'm one of them so sorry if you think I'm too loud we can't help it you should imagine how when people get married or when they die God help us <laughs> And when he had entered, he said to them, why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumi, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking for she was 12 years of age and they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. I love that so many encounters where Jesus shows up, he brings in foods. It's just awesome. It's like, it's just like the people are hungry, feed them. He comes back from the dead. First thing he does with the disciples on the road to Emmaus, he feeds them. Then he goes to Peter at the, it's just, I love it. Heaven's gonna be great. We're not just gonna be singing, we're gonna be eating. That's why they call it the wedding feast of the lamb. We're going to be partying and eating. And if you like food like I do, you're excited about that. <laughs> 
And that's not coming from me. By the way, even the Old Testament God, for those of you who are like, I like the New Testament God, not the Old Testament. Do you know that he found Elijah when he was in a cave, depressed and anxious and wondering what's going to happen to his life? Jesus is like, God is like, listen, I'll feed you first. <laughs> Our Lord is a practical, understanding God. He's not like, all oh, like, you know, just come into my presence now with singing, yes, Psalms 100, but also like there are needs. He understands and he has met them. He goes before us and meets those needs. I think it's so important to understand that about our Father because sometimes, at least in my life, it feels like he's way up there. I flew back yesterday from visiting my nephew in New York and I was in the plane and, and as we were landing, I was looking out the window and you see these clouds and I looked out and I thought, God, you're out there somewhere. And, and I know we know that he's in us. Like, I get that, but there's a sense that he's like there and he has no idea what we're going through, but he's a God who understands our hunger. He understands our need. All of it, not just the physical food part of it, but every bit of our hunger, single people, he gets it. Married people, he gets it. We have a Savior who sympathizes with our weaknesses. I, I can barely comprehend the Savior. And so it astounds me that so often in my Christian life when God's people have disappointed me, when the church has fell below my expectations, my inclination is to want to quit. I wrote a book called Fractured Faith because 10 years ago, not quite 10, but almost, we're coming on eight or nine years, I left a church body that I deeply loved. And it wasn't for anything wrong I did, but it was for a system that wasn't working. A system that was really corrupt in hindsight. And, and it wasn't unique to that place. It was, there are many, many, many places and ministries in the United States right now that you're hearing the same old story over and over and over again. And in being so caught up, focused on those systems, it's easy to stop seeing a father and a son who sees us and sympathizes with our weaknesses. And we just want to throw the baby out with the bathwater. And I was tempted to do that. So it's easy to say, well, I'm not going anymore to church because I don't believe they care about me. And I'm not going because they're corrupt. And I'm not giving to the church because you see what they do with our money. And all of the things that we hate, that we've seen happen, we go, God, I'm, I don't know about you. If these are your people and you will stand for them, then I don't want anything to do with it. So what does that make us? And so you go from, from having this crisis that is legit to having a crisis that is absolutely illegit because now it questions the goodness of God. At least that's what happened to me. So everywhere we turn now, we hear stories of people who are deconstructing in the faith, who used to think one thing, and now they don't. And, and while some deconstruction, they tell us, is good, I get it, I get it. There are some things that need to be renovated. You live in a house long enough, if you don't redo the bathroom at some point, God help you. But, but, but you don't need to destroy the house. We can't think anymore. And when we do think, instead of looking at the truth, at the place where we're going to get the answers, we look at every form of social media. So long as it's in two minutes or less, I'm okay to listen to it. And we form our entire faith journey on what somebody tweets once. Oh, they got a lot of followers. They must be right. And so years and centuries of biblical truth and and people who have died for the sake of the word of God 
the story, listen, the story of what happened in the Word, those, those very disciples reading about and their stories and even going back to the Old Testament, like there is something that happened. There's a historical tradition. There is a thing outside of us bigger than us, bigger than our local church, bigger than our little opinion of American Christianity that is taking place. And if we don't go back to saying, okay, I'm going to build my foundation on this book that has stood the test of time we go oh my gosh she's got a lot of twitter followers she must know oh he's got a great tiktok you should see what he says on his tiktok like this the new voice of reason and all these decades of 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 truth that was poured into us growing up become like clanging symbols in our heads for the sake of someone who tweeted something once who seems like they know what they're talking about because they're popular so we quit we stop going to church. We stop reading our Bibles. We stop listening to pastors. We don't say it out loud. We show up sometimes, but we're not in church. We sit in the pews, but we've got a list of other churches we could go to if this one doesn't meet up to our expectations. I know because I wrote the book on it. I'm not pointing fingers at you. I might not be a millennial, but I am living in a generation that has been brainwashed with some form of opinion that now we hold as truth and still trying to convince ourselves that there is no such thing as absolute truth. And if you believe in anything that's truth, then you might be so close-minded and so uncompassionate that we've now associated anyone who believes in a truth with someone who just doesn't love Don't quit. Christian, if you're here and you're on the verge of walking out of your Christian faith, I urge you, don't quit. If you're watching this and, and, and today was like your last chance, like you're going to show up and listen to one more message. And if, if I, don't quit, don't quit, don't quit following the living Jesus. Don't quit standing on the truth of the word of God. Don't quit believing what Jesus has taught us. Listen, don't quit. There is a risen Savior. He's not our imagination. He's not some person who came and died. And yeah, maybe there's an empty tomb and I'm not sure what's happening. Listen, 2,000 years of people giving their lives. I spend more time in the Middle East with every passing year. I never thought that would be my story. In 2015, one of the gifts of leaving the church was that because I left my role as a woman's ministry director in this church, I now had nothing on my agenda and so someone asked me to go to the Middle East. I said, sure, what else did I have to do? I was feeling like a loser. I didn't have a local church. I was so happy to be invited anywhere. Now I'm so glad it wasn't like Topeka. It was Jordan. I could have been in Omaha, Nebraska. Instead, I was invited to Jordan, praise God. And so from there, I ended up going to Lebanon, my birth country. I ended up starting to work in the Middle East. I spent enough time all over the world to tell you there are people everywhere that are giving their lives now for a risen Savior. What David said, why he got choked up, is because he's not from this country either. If you were watching the worship, if you came in late, David, our worship leader, was saying, man, there's people everywhere who would give their lives to be in a corporate gathering like this. Listen, in some countries, like in Lebanon, they are going, they show up, they sit in the pews, and every single time they walk into the church, there's a risk that their own family, their mothers and fathers will kill them. 
I taught a Bible study when I was there last a couple of months ago, and I'm going back in a couple of weeks, by the way, and, and, and the Bible study was these 10 to 12 young ladies who had recently given their life to the Lord. So I put together this discipleship intensive for them, and, and one of the women who was there, barely 20, 22, something along those lines, beautiful girl. She's not head covered. She, her background is, is Muslim type, and she had given her life to Jesus, and she's living. She goes, she would come in late. She says, whatever you do, just don't put my name on anything because her parents, you know how you have the missing people papers that you see at the mall here nobody goes to the mall anymore now but you have them they show up like you see these you walk downtown you'll see these these papers with somebody's face this girl she has a paper like this but it's because they her own mother and father want to kill her because she's given her life to Jesus so she lives now 45 minutes from home in a place where no one knows where she is. She doesn't know what she's going to do with her life. I can't wait to go back in November and find out what is she going to do. She has no paper. She can't leave the country because her dad is in a situation of power. And if she goes to the airport to leave the country or goes to any of the borders to leave the country, they'll see that it's her. So she's stuck in a house with a Christian waiting. This Christianity that we in the U.S. sit and parse and think, man, I don't know. This pastor says this. This lady says that. Does this? We sit around and talk about it as if it's some philosophical thing. Listen, in other countries, they're dying for it. And when you tell me there is not a Jesus who's alive, listen, he's alive enough to be the hope of these people so that even knowing their own parents are going to kill them, they stay the course. They're showing up. They're not giving up the faith. They're not crazy or deluded. They have met the risen Christ. Well, we waste our time trying to decide if I'm going to go to this service this week or to that or if I'm going to watch it on Zoom or God knows what our options we've given ourselves to alleviate our guilt enough to know that we put our hour with Jesus so that he can bless us the rest of the week. There is a Savior who died for us and is risen again. And don't quit. Say, what about the woman here with the issue of blood? Well, there's four reasons from this story why you must never quit. The first is this, because even when you're hurting, it's the pain in your life that has led you to this moment. Because even when you're hurting, listen, this woman with the issue of blood was hurting. For 12 years, she'd been to doctors. I spent my days, I still practice medicine. Now I do it in the context of telehealth because of my travel. I have a ministry we're running, Living with Power. We've got a lot going on in the ministry. I told you a bit about the Lebanon stuff that we're doing. We've been doing this for five or six years. Now we started the Hope Ranch, a retreat house here in Barrington. We're trying to grow that. There's a lot going on. I couldn't keep up with the shift, so God in his grace opened the door for me to do telehealth. So I work out of my house. I see patients on my time, not on the hospital's time, which has been a gift for me. And, and I can tell you that, that even hearing the story, that the story of people going to doctors and not getting what they want is a very common story. In fact, right now, it's actually a mini crisis. People People don't trust doctors anymore. People don't want to go to doctors anymore. So we're trying to work and navigate through this crisis here in the United States. Well, this woman has lived that back in that time. For 12 years, she spent, they didn't have health insurance. She spent all of her money, every single dollar. This morning, I talked to a woman who all her teeth are rotted. She's 32 years old. I said, have you seen the dentist? She says, yes. And it takes five, she's 32, $5,000 to get her teeth removed, to get a denture put in. And she's at 3,000 now. She's saving a dollar after dollar. That's that woman, except she doesn't even have $3,000 because back in that day, if you were a woman with the issue of blood, they thought you were dirty. They were, she was unclean. In fact, she came to Jesus hidden because if anyone saw her, they would know she was unclean. They would kick her out of the belonging. She wouldn't be accepted in that area. 
Many of you today are here and you don't feel like you belong. That's that woman. And you might think, man, I hope they don't know what I'm doing. I hope they don't know what my life is. I hope they don't know what my job is. This woman was considered dirty and for 12 years she'd expired everything. She had nothing left and she hears about Jesus and most of us would hate and resent the very pain in our life and yet it is the pain in her life that has brought her to this moment of encounter with the living Savior. I, I, I've read a, a lot of scripture over the years but in this season one of the things that has been very prominent in my reading scripture in a space where I am living right now has been this concept that the pain in our life is what brings us to Jesus. I'll give you, I wanna tease that out a little if you bear with me. Think about this woman, had she gotten some healing for her problem, she wouldn't have bothered to leave her house that day. Say a doctor had given her some pills and stopped the bleeding, she would have stayed home. She wouldn't have sought Jesus. She'd been happy in the moment because she doesn't have as much bleeding. Maybe even her, even her bleeding gotten a little less. Maybe it wasn't resolved, but it was better. Maybe she was now bleeding 10 days a month as opposed to five. Or maybe she went one month without it. I mean, if you had a partial solution, you wouldn't have come to this encounter with the Savior. Another example in that, just to flush that out a bit, I think about Peter when he went out fishing after the resurrection. He puts his net in the water and he gets nothing. And that morning, Jesus meets him at the shore. Now think about it. Had Peter gotten 10 fish when he would have come out of the fishing and Jesus would have said, hey, have you gotten any fish? What would he have said? Yep, yep, I do. I got 10 fish. I'm good. Mind your business, sir. I'm the fisherman here. But it is his very lack, it is his very need, it is the very need of the woman where nothing has been better in her life. It is her desperate condition that leads her to Jesus. Some of you are here and you fully understand it because it's happened not that long ago. I came to Christ when I was a kid. I mean, you can have only so many problems as a kid. But some of you understand that as an adult, that it is your pain. Maybe you haven't received Jesus. Maybe you're here today for the first time or watching for the first time. And you're here because of the pain in your life. That's good. I hate pain. I don't like pain. That's the first thing I do when I talk to patients. What can I do to get rid of your pain? You get graded in the ER for how well you manage people's pain. But it is the pain that makes you seek help. So instead of trying to evade the pain, instead of trying to numb the pain, instead of trying to ignore the pain, lean into those painful places in your life. Because that may be what God is using to get you to Jesus. C.S. Lewis understood this. Remember he said that God uses pain as a megaphone to rouse a deaf world. He says God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks to us in our conscience and he shouts to us in our pain. And so I used to hate pain. Told you a bit about the early engagement. So much pain. I'm old enough now to look back and honestly cynical enough, sadly, to look back and go, I can't believe I wasted so many tears and painful moments. And yet it's true when you're in pain, I mean, if you've ever broken a bone and, or sprained your leg and then broken a bone, you can look back and go, that wasn't that bad. Why did I cry so much then? But, 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 but in it, it hurts. Yet that is the pain that is likely God's invitation. God doesn't cause our pain, but he invites us into his presence. So this woman who has spent every dime and has nothing left now, no longer says, I'm going to go try to find another teacher. I'm going to find another doctor. She says, no, there's only one answer. And his name is Jesus. 
Here's a second reason why you should never quit. Because even when you hardly believe it, Jesus will still heal you completely. I, I confess, my faith isn't always as strong as many charismatic preachers want it to be. And I say this tongue-in-cheek with no disregard to that, but the truth is that when I'm in the pit, I cannot muster enough faith to impress God. Even now, I'm driving down my friend Bonnie, I'm reviewing all that's going, that we're going through, all of the areas of waiting, all of the painful places in my ministry life right now. And I, and I say to her, man, I, I, I am hopeful, but it's such a weak hope. It's like, it's like, a, it's like a hope that I, I want to look at myself and go, I can't, well, how can you hope? It's just like scary to hope. And, and my faith is so small that I just want to be like, like, I just would rather not hope because if I hope and it doesn't happen, that's even more pain. And lucky for us, Jesus thought that what you need is pain as little, as faith as little as a mustard seed. You don't need a whole lot of faith. You need if only faith. If only faith is a woman crawling up to Jesus going, if only I touch not even his toe, but the hem of his robe, I will be made well. That's all the faith that Jesus expects you to have because the power isn't the woman's power. It is his power. The resources are not the woman's resources. It is his rich resources. You think about the platforms that we've convinced ourselves. I just met with a couple of girls this weekend at the university where my nephew's going and they want to write a book and we're talking about book writing and I was telling them all about building platforms and all of the ways that you could get your book out and, and these are PhD students. They have the goods to write a book but I'm thinking in my head, man, they'll never write this thing. They have no platform. It's not even your platform that he needs. He doesn't need you to be popular to accomplish his will through you. You don't have to have millions of followers. You just have to follow the one who can make something happen out of nothing. I need that message spoken over me every single day of my life because I'm not that Pollyanna, happy Jesus will do anything. I'm the ER doctor, Eeyore of Eeyores. I have a PhD in Eeyores. Like, I walk out of my car today, it's pouring down rain, and I think not a human's going to be in this church except for me and David. <laughs> and maybe I cheat. He has to be here, right? If it's going to happen badly, I think it's going to happen to me. Like, it doesn't matter what the situation is. I'm always your worst-case scenario person. And yet, over and over again, I'm reminded of a Savior who understands that about me and still works in me and through me despite me, despite my weak faith. He doesn't say you need a lot of faith. He just says, put that little amount of mustard seed faith in Jesus, who has all of the power to do above and beyond what you could ask or think. So that even if the story looks hazy here, right here in the middle, it's okay. He's got it. He's got it. You just need, if only, faith. If only God could save your marriage still. If only God could bring your prodigal back. If only God could help you find a community of believers to help you walk this difficult life alone. If only God would provide for your next big bill that came your way. If only, if only faith. Now you say, God, if only you would show up in those circumstances. 
Now, now listen, for a cynic, I understand how you would think, because I think it. You go, well, you don't know, man. I've trusted that. Look at you. You're 49. You're still single. Didn't you trust God for marriage? How is that working out for you? Listen, the story's not over yet. My mom said, amen. And my dad in heaven saying, high five, Jesus. We're so focused on outcomes. We've based the goodness of God on whether or not our human dreams get accomplished in the time that we want them accomplished. It's such an earthly, human way of thinking. We've stepped out of the divine. We've stepped out of seeing that God has his way, his time. God has met me so deeply in the past 49 years. It can't didn't even cross my mind to worry about who I'm going to get. I have so many other things that I've come before the Lord with desires for. And I used to taper that desire because I used to be like, well, God, you didn't answer this thing. Why well, am I going to trust that you're going to answer that thing? But the older I get, the more this arc of life takes place, the more I've seen how fulfilled I am with the life he's given me, the more I'm able to say, well, actually, God, I don't want anybody messing my stuff in my house. I kind of like my peace and quiet, you know. Like you kind of get in the zone where you know that God knows me better than I know myself. And he could certainly rock that boat, but thank God he hasn't yet. But now I've got these new needs. And where before I used to be like, well, I'm not going to pray about this because I don't know if God can be trusted because he didn't do that thing. Now I'm coming into a season of understanding how deep and how good this goodness of the Father is. And so that if you need it, he'll provide it. And so the truth of whether God is alive isn't whether you get a check in the mail that says, here's your rent money for the month. That's not how, what decides the goodness of God. I pray today, if that's your need, that God would provide it. I pray that you would ask, if that's your need, go ask someone at the church. I need help. You might need, that might be what you need, is to humble yourself and ask. The point is, God's goodness doesn't rest on whether Lena gets married or you get that check in the mail or you get an A on the test or you win a football game. God is good period. Everything he does is good. Our faith doesn't stand on outcomes, but on a person named Jesus. So don't quit. Don't quit. A couple of others, and I'm sorry, Carl, for setting a stage for a new normal here on how long a message is. But we're going to keep going because I'm not here next week. Is that okay? You guys are like, end it now. No, we're going to keep going. We're going to finish just two other small points, I promise. From the angle of the disciples, here's one. Don't quit because even when you barely notice them, people all around you are desperate for healing. Because even when you barely notice them, people all around you are desperate for healing. Listen, in the story, there's a shift that happens. We looked at two stories, the story of the woman, and we looked at the story of Jairus and his daughter. But in it, and growing up, I've heard a million sermons on this text, but I've never had anyone really talk a lot about, what about the disciples in it? Now think about it. Jesus has 12 disciples. They're with him everywhere. You've got Peter, James, and John. They're like the high-end disciples. And then you've got the other ones, the ushers. You know, there you got the, you know, the teaching pastors. And then you got the others. I don't know if they labeled them that way. But you've got the inner circle. And you've got the others. And they're all his guys. They're walking around him. They're ministering to people. And so there's a throng. And they do this all the time. Now they're not about to quit per se yet. They eventually want to quit. And all of them almost quit. But in that moment, they miss the woman. Think about it. Here's this needy person who's hurting, who's alone, who's desperate, who has nothing, and she shows up to church 
or to the throng in that story. And she shows up and Jesus has to ask, who touched me? Jesus knows, he's not asking for information. He's asking for revival. He's asking for awakening. He's asking to make a point. And everybody, including Peter, James, and John, the super disciples, look at him and go, you crazy? Nobody can tell. Peter himself in Luke chapter eight, why did I read that? Because Peter himself says, man, how can you ask that question? How, you expect us to see? Don't quit because, yes, Jesus expects you to see that man or woman who might walk in, maybe crawl in to a place of meaning, absolutely at their lowest, desperate for healing, and you might be the person who could reach out and touch that life. Part of my story in being here has to do with Carl and Junan. I remember, Lori knows well, we used to go to the same church. Bonnie, many of you here who know the story of my life, Gloria, we've walked this life for years now. And, and I remember when I first started coming to 180 Chicago, I knew that Pastor Carl had sort of a backstory besides his fishing and expeditions. You know, there, I, I'm gonna say the word, I died a trod, whatever it is, but there's not a sermon that we're not gonna drop that. So here it is, Carl, that was for you. And so, so there's, but, but I knew another thing about him that he had church hurt in his life. And I came because of that. And what I found was that a person who's been through church hurt understands people who have been through church hurts. And so Carl was one of the 12 disciples who was walking closely to Jesus who saw the woman with the issue of blood. I'm not convinced that I'm that person. I'm so focused on where I'm going, like the disciples. There's an urgent problem, let's go fix it. I'm so focused on the goal, I'm so focused on the end that I miss what God puts right around me today. I'm so focused on the urgent that I miss the divine appointments that God has for me in the moment. I'm so focused on the job of ministry that I miss the heart of ministry. I'm so focused on the crowd that I miss the one. Listen, don't quit, Christian, because there is a man or woman sitting around you today who has a backstory, who's hurting, who showed up, and maybe, just maybe, God has put you in this room for that reason. Last point, four reasons why you should never quit. Because even when the world around you laughs, there's life where, where all feels dead. Even when the world around you laughs, there's life where all feels dead. The response of the crowd now, 2,000 years later, is ironic. There's Jesus, the King of Kings, who breathed our existence into life. Peace doesn't, to him, there's no concept of time. There's no concept of death. He is life. He is light. He's abundance. And these people are freaking out because that 12-year-old girl has died. So they say, don't bother. Don't waste your time. You might as well go and have breakfast at Denny's. Not that anybody would. And then they're like, leave it alone. Done. Which is what many of you today have done to your dreams. Which is what many of you have done to those prayer requests. You used to pray about them and you X them out and you're like, I'm done, man. I'm not even sure God can do it. And you know what they do? Big mistake. They laugh. I want you to go home this afternoon and look up all of the instances in Bible where people laughed before a miracle took place. Sarah laughed, the wife of Abraham, the forefather of our faith. She laughed 
What I love about the story of Sarah is that God graciously gave her Isaac despite her disbelief. And so she calls Isaac laughter. That's the name Isaac. The people of Jericho, when the army of Israel walked around Jericho seven times, they thought they were idiots. They laughed at them. Listen, the culture will laugh at your faith. It will look silly. How can you put your faith in this God? Look at you, you're walking around Jericho. What could God do? God dropped the walls of Jericho. Not a bullet fired, not an arrow shot. He did the heavy lifting because they believed him. <laughs> Nehemiah went to build the wall. They laughed at him. 50 days later, the wall was built around Jerusalem. Listen, if you're in a situation in your life where it looks like it's easier to laugh than to believe, get ready. God is about to do something miraculous. It's how he works. There's an old hymn we used to sing. David, I think we're coming to an end. You can come up here now. The old hymn used to say, God, any rivers you think, you know, I remember that song? God, any rivers you think are uncrossable. God, any mountains you can't tunnel through. God specializes in things thought impossible. He does the things others cannot do. Listen, when they laughed, Jesus just put them outside. Some of you, there are voices of laughter in your life. You want to believe. You have faith to believe. You know what Jesus did? He says, excuse me, but if you're laughing, step out of the space. He closed the door and he kept his disciples. He says, we're doing something here. He quietly, there was no big service. There was no big invitation. It was a very quiet moment. In fact, right now, I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes as I close this in prayer. I just want you to think about what I've been teaching as the Holy Spirit moves in our hearts. And I need to listen to some sermons all the time. This is one of them. If you're watching right now on Zoom, just bow your heads for a minute. You might be in the middle of eating breakfast. You might be thinking about what you're going to do next. Listen, I've done the Zoom thing. Stop for a moment multitasking. Stop listening to the sounds around you and focus on the voice of the Savior. Right now, think about your life. The story I just went through. Do you identify with the woman maybe you're hurting? Maybe this is a new concept today that you see your pain in new light. Your pain is an invitation to the feet of Jesus. Maybe you've given up hope of a resurrection. Two words, Jesus says to her, get up, arise. New life is given. All around the room, there's men and women who are making their way here. Dan over here, got Scott over here. Got some ladies making their way out. If you want to pray with someone right now, I'm going to lead us in prayer in a moment. But before that, keep your heads bowed for a moment. This is our way of having a little invitation. What an invitation is, is a time for you. Keep your heads bowed. I just want to speak over you for a moment. This time of prayer is so holy. I know Carl has modeled that week after week, and many of you have made life-changing decisions here in this room. Getting up and talking to someone about it is your way, like the woman at the, with the issue of blood in the chapter in Luke 8. It says, when she saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling. If that ever sounded like an invitation, come out of hiding when you come up to say I need prayer my faith is struggling I'm in an if only
place. What I've dreamed about in my life, my situation looks dead. I need revival. I need resuscitation if that's you. And you, you might even come up trembling, but it is you're admitting you're coming out of hiding that is often the key to even a deeper encounter with Jesus. When I pray in a moment, I'm going to ask you if that's you and you just need someone to help you pray. You know, a lot of times prayer is someone walking with you towards that place of faith. Maybe you wait, faith is so weak, you just need someone to come. I need that person. I need the bodies in my life, the genies in my life, women who will come alongside me and lift me up when I'm weak because I don't have enough faith. But there's some there. It hasn't completely gone out. And they come to me and say, Melina, don't quit. Don't quit. God is at work even when you don't see it a show of hands before I pray. If that's you and you just need a revival, a resuscitation in a situation in your life, just lift your hand up for me to pray over you. No one's looking, heads bowed, eyes closed, out of respect to those here, just lift your hands. If you just need reviving, a resuscitation in a place in your life that feels impossible, just lift your, heads up, lift your hands up. Just lift your hand, put it back down. I appreciate that. You're not lifting it for me. You're lifting it as an acknowledgement to the Spirit of God of saying, Lord, yes. Yes, God, I need a movement of the Spirit. Lord, we need you to awaken us. We need you to revive us again. Father, I pray for those here right now who are carrying heavy burdens where they need a miracle, maybe health burdens, financial burdens, relationship burdens. Father, would you please restore our faith Use our if-only faith to show us a resurrection that only you can do. Help us to stand again on Ephesians 3.20 that you do above and beyond what we could ask or think. Give the boldness, Father, for those who need to come out of hiding and say, I am a woman of faith. I am a man of faith. I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Father, let there be new life in hearts today. Father, thank you that you have invited us here into your presence today. You've already planned this time. Pray for those watching that even in this moment you would stir in hearts, clarifying what it is that you're trying to say. Open the ears of our hearts and the eyes of our hearts to hear you, to see you more clearly. Thank you, Father, for your grace so abundant. I pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. If that's you and you need prayer today, just get up and walk to them. They won't spread your story anywhere. It's just between you and that person to pray with you. You'll feel like you have an ally. These men and women here can be your Carl and Julianne who came alongside me in a time that I needed it. So don't hesitate to do it. We love you. I thank you for the time that you gave me this morning. And I pray that God would continue his work in us, not just now, but even until the day of Jesus Christ.